Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We are in Acts chapter 15 today, and we've got, got a good bit of scripture to get through again. It, it's Christmas time, right? Lights, and, wet, and wreaths, and nativities, and presents, and eggnog, and Rudolph and the Island of Misfit Toys. Christmas, when we get outside of the window dressing, December 25th is the biggest day of the year for movie theaters. Christmas is, as I have read, the biggest day of the year for marital problems, money problems. It's the biggest day of the year for suicides. What is, to me, my favorite day of the year. I, I love Christmas. I, love, I like the lights. Not, not as much a fan of the Island of Misfit Toys, but I like the lights. And I like a lot of the music. And, and I like the Christmas vibe. And to me, it is my favorite time of the year. But it isn't for everybody. In fact, I think for the rest of the world, 364 days a year, they can ignore the gospel. And one day, it is so in their face. And it hits them with what they're missing. And it makes them sad. It makes them angry. It makes them depressed. It is, the, it is that reaction against the gospel of Christ. In the same way that Christians view Christmas differently, there are other things that we look at in the world very differently. One of those is conflict. The goal of most people that I know when they get into an argument is to win. It's not that the truth comes out. It's, it's to win. Um, and, and somehow, in winning the argument... Somehow, they are better. I had a former friend who, said, who, who bragged that he never lost a fight with his wife. You know how this story ends. He's divorced. But at least he can say he never lost, right? That was his bragging point. I, yesterday, Pam cleaned up a little bit of the living room. And then I couldn't find the TV remote. It was right where I put it. And I have to acknowledge that. I, 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 I know so many people that would have said, well, it's your fault for cleaning the room that you made me lose it. I, I lost it. That was me. The goal of the Christian is not to always be right. <laughs> the goal of the Christian is when we're wrong to admit it to discover God's truth. And that's conflict. In conflict, my question is, what does God want out of this? How can I get in line with God's will? Um, This is hard even for Christians. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek, we know that passage, if you don't, Jesus says if someone hits you on the cheek, turn to him the other. That goes against so much of human nature, 
very goes against American nature, I believe, the U.S. Um, Paul routinely gets beat up and left for dead throughout the New Testament and doesn't fight back, doesn't plot his revenge. When, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he scolds Peter for chopping Malchus's ear off to defend him. Jesus is not a hero to our godless culture. Jesus is a loser. He lost. He could have fought back, but he, got, but he surrendered and got himself killed. And that's what we're up against. And I don't mean that it's the church versus the world. I mean, it's my inner nature against the nature of Jesus. The nature of Jesus says, Jason, you're not always right. That Jason, you're only right when you're right with God, and you're going to have to admit that you're wrong a lot and that you need to change. We talked about last week that sincere, godly people can still be sincerely wrong. We're, we're human. As Christians, it's not about what we want. It's what God wants. And sometimes, having sought God's will, sometimes we're still not going to be on the same page. That happens in churches, right? We can absolutely pray and say, we think the church needs to do this. And someone else says, I think the church needs to do this. Well, let's go home and pray. And it's great if we come back and agree. Sometimes that doesn't even happen. So how do we proceed? I want to look at Acts chapter 15. That's a longer chapter, but I think it's good insight into how churches handle internal conflict. Acts chapter 15. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. Well, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. And so Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Well, the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. And then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider the question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement in this, with this as it is written. After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. 
its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who hear my name, says the Lord who does these things that have been known for ages. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest time and read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. But then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they chose Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We've heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. And so we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You'll do well to avoid these things. Farewell. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. All right, big, big passage to get through. I get that. The issue that confronted the early church was a serious issue. may seem trivial to us, but we've got 2,000 years of church history. We've got the New Testament. To this point, they didn't have that. They didn't have the, they didn't have the history. They didn't have a New Testament yet. They, their experience was that God's chosen people on earth were Israel that he gave Israel certain rules to follow, circumcision being kind of the code term for all of it. Certainly it's what distinguished them in some ways. Their definition of righteousness to, them, to this point was based upon Old Testament contractual laws. There are things we need to do to stay right with God. And by and large, this is physical actions. Um, you don't even have to Throw your heart into it. You just have to do it. So, suddenly, there are Gentile believers. And this very important question pops up. How Jewish do we have to be? Now, not only was it a powerful question back then, if you think about it, let's be honest, it should still be a question we're asking ourselves maybe today. Which bits of the Old Testament do we follow And which bits do we get to say, well, that was back then, and that was Israel, and that was 2,000, 3,000 years ago, and we don't have to do that anymore? Um, Do do we just pick and choose our favorite bits of the Old Testament to follow? 
Do we throw, if we don't need to follow any of it, can't we just have a smaller Bible with just the New Testament? If, if the Old Testament matters, we meet on Sunday. We don't meet on the Sabbath. I love bacon. And I'm, and I'm glad that, that I get to eat bacon. Right? That, that's, that's, that's something. Um, I, I like not having to, to, to sacrifice animals on altars. For the forgiveness of sins, I'm 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 glad that, frankly, bloody requirement is not a part of my life. Don't get me wrong; I'm not saying I'm not saying anything bad about it. God gave that as a requirement for Israel, but Jesus is the sacrifice once and for all. I don't have to do sacrifices. I can eat bacon because Jesus says, and all food is clean. And yet, when the Old Testament says don't murder, I'm assuming that's still on the table, right? Don't don't steal, don't commit adultery. These are well, ten commandments are, are good. Well, nine of the ten, right? We meet on Sunday. We don't meet on the Sabbath. How do we pick and choose our way through? It, it's a big question now. Imagine how big this question was 2,000 years ago without the New Testament, without the years, 2,000 years of history of the church. There's no question, uh, there's no question in my mind. You may disagree. I, I think that the Judaizers, that these people were these the, this party of Fer- these Christians, Pharisees who'd become Christians, I think they meant well. I, I, I do. They may have been legalistic, but I don't know that they had any reason not to be. This was the world they came from. God had given his divine revelation to Israel. That was their framework. This is how God speaks to us. I, I, think, that, I think that they meant well. I think that they were sincere. I just think we discovered that they were sincerely wrong even if they loved god there there is if you haven't heard about it there is kind of a growing i'm going to use the phrase cult there's a there's a growing movement cult called uh academically we call it the hebrew roots movement that says if you want to be a good christian you need to be more jewish i had friends back in illinois that were falling into this which frankly was somewhat something of a joke as these were people who weren't jewish who had no idea how to be Jewish and were kind of making it up as they went. And eating kosher is one thing, although they didn't even do a good job at that. Like, I watched them eat pepperoni pizza sometimes. That's not kosher. These are people that are still struggling through the issue, how Jewish do I need to be, which parts of the Old Testament apply to my life and which parts don't. This stuff never really goes away entirely. And, and it's probably good that we talk through this. Peter gets to the heart of the issue. He just cuts to the chase. Look, the Holy Spirit, God himself, came upon uncircumcised believers. These people did not follow Jewish law, and the Spirit came upon them. God didn't require them to follow that law. He just required them to accept Christ's grace. And I think that is the heart of the issue. The point isn't how religious, when I use the word religion, I'm usually not talking about just faith, but the things that we do to express our faith. You know, we dress up on Sunday morning, right? We don't have to. That's kind of an American tradition of dressing up, kind of based on a medieval tradition. I don't see anywhere in the Bible that says you can't wear blue jeans and a t-shirt to church. The preacher always dresses up. I don't know why. I'm okay with doing it. It's part of our American tradition. I don't want to be the only preacher in town barefoot in ripped up blue jeans and t-shirts on a Sunday morning. I know that I'm, I dress that way the rest of the week. 
But on Sunday morning, I'd, but I do that kind of because it's expected and it's traditional and I don't want to bring kind of a shame to the church. But it's not a biblical thing, right? We have our traditions and we have kind of our religion and there's nothing wrong with religion, but religion isn't what saves us, is it? It's not the necktie that saves me. It's a relationship with Christ through the grace given by God. So where does Old Testament law stand? It, it, it doesn't save, and it's, never, its point was never really to save. Its point was to show us that we were separated from God, that we were sinners in need of a sacrifice, that God sent his son, what we celebrate on Christmas. I think verse 11 is our key. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. Straightforward verse. Now, we are saved by grace as, as all men are, Jews, Gentiles, all of us saved by grace. We're not saved by obedience, but I want to make sure that we throw out there that obedience has its place. The Bible wouldn't have spent all this time, all these, all these epistles to the churches, people who were already saved, here's how you should act but it's after we're saved. Obedience is what we do out of gratitude for Christ to show that we're saved, not, be, not to get saved. As for how Jewish we need to be, I think the answer is pretty short, not very. I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8 because I think Paul builds on this. So if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Now, about food, sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food, sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, for whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, They think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol, and since their conscience is weak, it's defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We're no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. All right. What may be one of the weirdest stories you ever hear. Uh, When I got out of college, there was a guy I went to college with named Jared. And when Jared got out of college. He got a roommate named, they they moved into an apartment in Lincoln, Illinois. He had a roommate, a friend of ours named Doug, and Jared and Doug were roommates. And when I got out of college, because I did a year of seminary, um, I needed a place to live. 
and Jared and Doug said, come, come live with us. So I moved in there, a tiny little alley house, tiny little thing, but room for us. Um, I say tiny. I, my parents had given me, so that I could live on my own, their old microwave. Now, this is one of those first-generation microwaves, which means it's roughly the size of a coffin. Um, the thing was enormous, two people to lift. It was huge. Um, well, Doug already had a microwave, so I didn't know where to put it, and Doug said, just put it in the living room, and we'll put a tablecloth on it and call it a coffee table. So we did. Over time, this is where the story gets weird. Doug started to decorate it. Really kind of weird pine cones and weird kind of nature stuff. And there was a bowl that he put on there with Skittles in it. You know, the little rainbow candies, taste the rainbow. I thought Doug was being very generous and nice, and it was nice that he was providing snacks for the people in the house and didn't really pay attention to the fact that I was the only person eating the Skittles. So here, Doug's not Christian. Let me be clear, Doug is still a friend. We talked just a couple weeks ago. Doug is, Doug is a good friend. Doug's not Christian. Doug is one of these people that practices Wicca. Yes, I got out of Bible college. I lived with a guy that was into witchcraft. Nice guy, still a friend. Absolutely. I mean, if you don't have friends that aren't Christians, who are you going to witness to, right? Um, he had turned, I came to find out later. Uh, Doug quit speaking to me. And at some point I said to Jared, why, for months, why is Doug so mad at me? And Jared said, well, it's the, you're eating the Skittles. I said, well, why is he putting them out? He said, they're offerings to his pagan gods. I'm the only person I know in my life who has eaten food sacrificed to an idol. I'm the only person. They were Skittles. I'm the only person I know that, his, that, his, that this passage kind of applies. So I, I apologize. I mean, that, that was just one of those weird things of, is this reality? And again, he's a great guy, school teacher and a good friend of mine. And, and I, I, We didn't communicate. He thought I was making fun of his religion. And... I thought they were candy, right? It's just just Skittles. Who does that? Paul says, those aren't real gods. And they're not. Doug's gods aren't real. They're they're not real. But it sure offended him what I did. And I read this passage with eyes that a lot of of people probably won't, won't get the chance to read. I told you that was the weirdest story you'll probably hear for a while. Why did the Council of Jerusalem give... They're kind of weird rules, right? I mean... Avoid sexual immorality, yeah, absolutely. Don't eat, don't eat strangled meat, blood. Uh, don't eat blood. I mean, that's tough if, you're, if you live in Scotland and you like blood pudding. That's kind of a tough one. Um, the, the rules they give really seem, out of all the things they could pick, don't eat food sacrificed to idols. And then Paul says, and then Paul says later, you can't eat food sacrificed to idols. Just don't get caught by your weaker brethren doing it. Paul's letter to the Corinthians adds, I think, some light to this subject. There are no such thing as other gods. Our, our God is the only God. Food sacrificed to idols is food sacrificed to nothing. That said, Paul says, what if it causes your brother to stumble? So let's talk a minute about a stumbling block. You may think the preacher is well overdue for a haircut and, and is too shaggy and immature looking and, that's your, and you're welcome to that opinion. It might even offend you that my hair is in my eyes a lot. That's not a stumbling block. It may offend you, and, I don't, and, and if it does, I'm, I'm, my goal isn't necessarily to offend. But 
My offending you isn't a stumbling. A stumbling block is when I cause you to sin. All respect, I don't see how having being overdue for a haircut causes anyone to sin. I don't see how that can lead you down a road closer to the devil. Um, but let me give a different example. So in, in college, uh, there was this fantasy card game called Magic the Gathering that came out. And, I, and, and a lot of us got into this card game, and we played it for a while. When my roommate, Bud, got kicked out of college, uh, failed, failed out, that's the correct phrase, fra- failed out. When, when Bud failed out of college, and they asked, and they, and they questioned him, because he was studying to be a minister, and they cared, why, why did you fail out? He said, I, this, I blame this card game, Magic the Gathering. Come to find out, I played one game a day. I'd get out of class, and I'd play a game of Magic the Gathering with Bud. Andy would get out of class and play a game of Magic the Gathering with Bud. Aaron would get out of class, and you know where this is going, right? I played a game a day, you know, 20-, 30-minute game of cards, and then get back to my homework. Bud played eight or ten games a day with different people in the dorm and never got his homework done because he was into this card game. Now, is there anything wrong with the card game? I don't think so. Brennan and I play it sometimes. I still think it's kind of a fun card game. It doesn't consume my life by any stretch. And it didn't even in college. But in that realm, my roommate Bud was the weaker brother. Had I known that he was struggling, the correct response is, Bud, I don't play that game anymore. Because I don't want him... Now, let me be clear. I don't want to encourage him in his weakness. I want to encourage my brothers and sisters to grow out of that. I, I like music. I like listening to different bands. Um, if, if I had a friend who was a Christian, young Christian, and always associated rock music with wanting to go to the bar and get drunk and get in fights and get in trouble, I might give up listening to music around that person. Because I don't want to trigger... Now, I don't want them to live there forever, right? What a terrible thing to not be able to listen to a music that you enjoy if it leads you into sin. But I don't want to leave them there, but I can give that up. If I was called to preach in Israel, sneaking suspicion, I'd give up eating all pork products. Doesn't matter how much I like bacon. If that's the ministry that I'm called to, I don't want to call. I don't want to offend anybody. Needless, I didn't want to offend my my roommate Doug. I'm, I'm, we had we finally had that hat where we hashed it out and talked it out, and I deeply apologized to him. Did I do anything wrong? I ate Skittles. I don't think eating Skittles was wrong. I think offending Doug was wrong because I want to be a witness to him. I still want him to come to Christ. I love him. He's my he's a very dear friend. I lived with him. I want him to know Jesus, and I don't want to be the one that makes him think, "Oh, Christians are jerks, and they make fun of me, and they hate me." Just the opposite. The point isn't my freedom. Paul says we don't use our freedom that way. The point is to draw close to Christ, and that's on all of us. If my brother is weak and I'm mature, then I sacrifice for his sake. The goal is not to leave him in his weakness, but in the meantime, I can give up. I can give up lots of things for my brother, for my sister. I think sometimes we can be too independent for our own good. I think we can sometimes not consider others in the church. Paul reminds us that our freedom in Christ can become pride. 
which is sin. And so it's a balancing act, isn't it, between being intru- between intrusive accountability and too much freedom? Too much intrusive accountability. I come to you and say, hey, are, are, you, are you still using tobacco products? You know you shouldn't do that. Are you, you drinking too much caffeine? You know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You need to not do that. Too much intrusion, and that feels like a cult. Too much freedom. Why are, we're not even a church if we're not holding each other accountable. But one of the things I see here is this wasn't on the leaders, was it? It was on the members. I, not as, as a preacher, but as a member, don't want to cause my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to stumble. It's never about how much freedom I get. It's about how much love I have. If I care about my brothers and sisters, wouldn't I give up some freedoms because I'm not selfish and I'm not arrogant and I'm not proud, or at least I don't want to be? Wouldn't I give up some things to help someone else to draw close to God? So with this in mind, back in Acts chapter 15, let's finish up Acts chapter 15. The last few verses of the chapter that we didn't read. (coughs) Because I think this continues to build on this. Speaking of losing things, I blame you. Next to the remote, right? Sometime later, in verse 36, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left Commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This is where the team, this is where the, 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 the classic team, the Starsky and Hutch or whatever of the Bible, Paul and Barnabas, break apart. Mark, somebody once said, Mark is Yoko Ono. Mark is the guy that broke up the band. I still like that and can't get that out of my head. Mark, Mark broke up the classic pairing. He'd been part of the team, but he'd quit. Barnabas wanted to give Mark a second chance, and Paul sincerely felt that was a terrible idea. They sincere, Two people who sincerely loved each other, loved the gospel, loved witnessing, prayed for God to lead them, sincerely disagreed. And they never did agree. They went their separate ways. You know, I do say, we can talk about the bad of this. I think one of the neat things that comes out of this, one of the good things, and maybe they disagreed with each other for a godly reason. Maybe God was behind this. We now have two missionary teams. We have Paul and Silas, and we have Barnabas and Mark, and and they can double their effect. We are not always going to see eye to eye on everything. Sometimes we will disagree. Godly people who mean the best will not see everything the same for various reasons. You know, one of the things that I like within the Christian church and churches of Christ is the statement, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. That is a founding principle of the restoration movement that we are a part of. It's not a denomination. 
but they are churches that have agreed to basic guiding principles. We're allied together. And it's a good statement. And kind of like the church in Jerusalem, the gospel itself is pretty simple. We tack on a lot of extra stuff. Denominations tack on a lot of stuff. And here in the Restoration Movement, we're just, we're not Baptist or Methodist. or Luther, We're just Christians. I, I, I'm not against Baptists and Methodists and Lutherans and all the other denominations. I, I want to be clear on that. I appreciate them. I appreciate their ministry in town. I don't think that they're the enemy. But I love the focus of the Restoration Movement. Let's keep the gospel really simple. Kind of like Acts chapter 15. Let's keep it really simple. There's some freedom to agree to disagree on, on, on the non-essentials. We won't agree on everything. Sometimes we'll agree to disagree. Our focus, however, must always be the spread of the kingdom of God. That's an essential. The gospel must be preached and proclaimed to the whole world. We, we have to be united on that. And it's one of the reasons I don't mind working with the other denominations in town is because I can work with the denominations because if their goal is to preach the, the gospel, the Bible, I don't always agree with their interpretation of, of some of the bits. But if their goal is to point people towards the Bible and say, this is truth, I believe that too. And so I'd see, I can work with people who say this book is truth. The church has to have unity. It's not the same as uniformity. Paul and Barnabas disagreed. Uh, God, God made us different. And some of those differences will mean that we will see ministry differently, the way that these guys did in, in Acts 15. But it's not about you getting your way. It's not about me getting my way. It's about the kingdom of God. What will bring people to Christ? What will bring more people to Christ? That has to be our priority. When any of us put our own wants above evangelism, now now we've lost sight of of the goal of proclaiming Christ to the nations. When selfishly we care about what we want and our comforts over the salvation of others, then we failed. Our hymn of invitation today is hymn number one. 76. Let's realize that the church that Christ died to redeem is his church. It's not ours. It's his church. It was then. It still is. If you haven't given your life to the Savior, if you don't know what that looks like, I would like to invite you to do so today. Let's talk. Let's talk about how to do that. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.